Last Wednesday night, I was preaching, and I said the word repentance, and it just wrecked me right in the service. And so, you know, the Lord started talking to me about, I need to teach on this because this subject of repentance is a major part of your Christian life, and very few people understand even what repentance is. There's two Greek words, right? There's one Greek word that really is more remorse, and within that word, there is no power to change, right? And so people, they will, because when you sin, do you know your spirit is what convicts you of sin as a Christian? Now, if you don't know Christ, the Holy Spirit will convict you of the sin of rejecting Jesus to bring you into the kingdom. But once you're in the kingdom, listen, your spirit does not ever want to go in a direction that God doesn't want you to go in, right? So your own spirit will kind of convict you, but then the Holy Spirit will start leading you to repent. So what happens, though, because people, they have inner turmoil, they get in their emotions, and, and what happens is the word repent... It's the Greek word metanoia. The true word repent means that I make a decision to change my mind. That's literally what it means. And it's a, that word repent, metanoia, was a Roman military term. And if anybody in the military would know it, right, it, it would be the equivalent of the term about face. What happens when a military person is told... He hears the command about face, and what does he do? Right? He turns and goes the other direction. And he obeys that command, and it's about face means not only that I turn, but that I go in the other direction, right? So within that word, there's no emotion. It's a decision. So the Holy Spirit is always, he's prompting you whenever, if you have something in your life that is not in line with the word, he, there's no guilt or shame or condemnation in Christ, but Satan would love to heap that on you. So he'll try to ignite this thing in your heart that's true where it's just inner turmoil, but he wants to take you from inner turmoil, which leads you to repent, right? The inner turmoil is, you know what? God loves me so much. He's given me so much. And I just, I got to turn to him. There's no guilt, there's no shame in that, but Satan will try to get you into the feelings and emotions of it, so you turn to the feelings and emotions. That's that other Greek word where you're turning, you make a decision to turn to the emotions, and you feel so bad, and you're just, oh God, and, and it's just, and Satan's on your shoulder going, yeah, you should feel real bad, and, but there's no power in that word to change. See, we got a lot of Christians that are living out of their flesh and, and they're, they're not able to overcome behaviors when they're literally dead to sin. It's all in their mind. Because see, the word metanoia, when you make a decision to change, and what does the Bible say? The goodness of God causes you to change. So then you turn and as you start, it's always accompanied by action. To repent doesn't mean just to turn. It means to turn and to go. So there has to be accompanying action, right? So as you're turning and as you start walking, 
what happens is the Holy Spirit starts quickening, quickening you with transforming power that enables you to walk free from that behavior. There's power in repentance. So anyway, I've been studying this all week. I'm about to explode with it. And then the Lord says, yeah, but you're not ready to teach this yet. <laughs> so he goes, I, I need to bring more light into your life, which I know what that means. Because when he brings light into my life from the word of God, it shines on areas of my life. And I'm like, oh. and what do I need to do? I need to make some changes. And as I do that, see, when you minister, do you know I never study for a sermon? That, there's no life in that. I study the word of God to do one thing, to know him Amen. intimately. And then out of the overflow of that relationship with him, I operate in, in the ministry God's called me to. In the same way you operate out of your ministry and in your life. You know, your whole life is a ministry. And it's to operate out of the overflow. So I, I can't teach something that I'm not walking in, right? Now, do I walk in repentance? Absolutely, right? Do I walk in that? Yes, I do. But does God want to take me deeper? There's some things. Because I could tell you this. God, do you realize how good of a chance it is that in two months, eight weeks from now, that we could be raptured out of here? Do you realize that? And I know pastors are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you said that in church. I'm like, I can't believe you're not. We are at the end of the church age. And, there's a, and we're living, the Bible says we're living. How, why am I getting off on all this? This, this does not count in my sermon today. So, so we are about to go from faith to sight. This world is about to enter a seven-year tribulation period that is beyond comprehension of how bad it's going to be. I mean, beyond comprehension. I don't want my worst enemy down here, right? Because the chance of them accepting Christ in the tribulation period, even though many will, the chance of them doing that is great, right? The chance, or the chance of them not accepting Christ is great. So, you know, it's amazing. We're living in the feast day of Pentecost right now. That's the church age. But the feast of trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, the day that no man knows, whatever you want to, all those names for that day, that's probably when Jesus is going to come back and take us out. Well, guys, we're approaching the end of a 2,000-year church age. We are at the end of it. It's not going to go beyond 2,000 years. When we, get, when we step out of the six days or the 6,000th year, that's the second coming of Christ when now we're in the millennial reign of Christ. Why am I saying this? The Bible says that these final days are days of incredible deception. And I would say that the church in the United States of America probably leads the way. We lead the way in on fire for God, effective ministry. We also lead the way in great self-deception. We are living in a time of great self-deception. Jesus said when he appears... Multitudes are going to say to him, multitudes, Jesus, didn't I preach? Didn't I lay hands on the sick? Didn't I cast out demons in your name? And he's going to look at them and say, I never knew you intimately. 
I mean, do you realize there are people that are going to get saved that they think they're saved now. That's why we must teach on this. Because, you know, repentance, and now we've come out with this wonderful doctrine that we've taken grace too far where we now we're saying, oh, you don't have to confess your sins. Oh my gosh, is that a thing from the pit of hell, right? That first John, the book of first John was written and the first chapter was not written to Christians, but the other four were. That's stupidity on steroids, Right? 1 John 1, 9, if we, John included himself, I think he was probably born again, confess our sins. He didn't say, hey, you unbelievers, if you, conf- you Gnostics, if you confess your sins. No. So we have to be careful because to get saved, you must repent. Didn't you? You made a decision to change your direction. And you got born again. But then as you walk with God, I mean, you, you know 1 John 1, 9, it doesn't even say if you confess your sins. In the literal Greek, it says if you continually confess your sins. So I think God knew we were going to kind of mess up. But we need the power to change. You can't change yourself. Right? So, so like uh, one minister, uh, you know, there's not a lot of teaching on this. One minister I was listening to who has an incredible church, he started teaching on repentance, and in his church, 220 tithing members that were active in his church got born again. They thought they were saved, but they weren't. Could you imagine what that did to his church? 200, could you imagine what would happen to our church if 220 people got born again and we're as excited as Mike and Sharina who have known Christ just a few months, right? You guys, I just want to get around you because you just vibrate. Right. It's like I grow spiritually just getting around you, right. right? Could you imagine 220 in our congregation, right? I mean, guys, this burns in my heart. I mean, I love you guys so much. I love, I love people so much. I don't ever want somebody to sit in this church and think, they're saved when they're not. So we're going to teach on that when, you know, uh, it, it just, I got to, I, I have to go and get some salt water in me to kind of wash out some things and stuff. And then, you know, I'll be ready to minister along these lines. But today, so now here's my message. Darn it. But today we're going to talk about, we're going to keep going on this laying hold of your inheritance. If you look at what God is doing in our church this year, remember I said the Lord spoke to me last year about this year that that this was a year that he wanted us to walk in the freedom whereby Christ has made us free. And so everything we've taught on brings you into freedom because you already are free, but you got to walk in it, right? You got to walk in it. So we're going to talk more about this. Go ahead and go back to Mark chapter 4 in verse 14. We spent a lot of time last week. Jesus is teaching the parable of the sower. And he said this parable is incredible because 
If you don't understand this one, you're not going to understand all of them. So what I want to keep doing, though, is go from his teaching. So he had a message, he taught it, then he went back, he was done, the, the meeting was over, uh, his disciples and a group of people that were in this meeting came to him and said, listen, Jesus, we need to know, we need you to, un- we need you to explain this so that we understand this. Jesus said that this group of people had ears to hear, and that's the whole parable. you got to have ears to hear, okay? So he said a couple things about our inheritance in Christ. See, the parable of the sower is about laying hold of your inheritance. And there's a couple things that we said last week about laying hold of your inheritance. We said this, you must lay hold and take possession of the inheritance that God has already given you and provided for you. It's not enough for him to have given it to you. You got to lay hold of it and possess it, right? Everything that you need in life is already within you. Your future as a Christian is not in front of you, it's within you. You don't decide what you're going to do in life, you discover it, okay? And the word of God is the lamp to your feet. It tells you where you are. Nothing else is to tell you where you are. And it's a light to your path, right? I'm your pastor. I'll teach you the word of God. I'll say, follow me as I follow Christ. You'll you'll see the anointing. You'll see a lot of things, right, As, as I'm ministering out of that gift. But I'm not your light, I'm not the one that tells you where to go. Remember we said this, I don't know, it all blends together for me. He who plants, Paul said in, the, in, the, in, the, in his letter to the Corinthian church, he who plants is nothing. He who waters is nothing. But God, it's God that gives the increase. In other words, man is never to be your focus. God is always your focus. Why? Because his word is a lamp to your feet and it's a light to your path. It tells you where to go. The thing about laying hold of and taking possession of the inheritance that he's already given you, you only do that one way, and that is through faith. I must lay hold through faith what God has given me by his grace, right? But to lay hold of your inheritance, you have to have a word from God. And that's what I want you to see today. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna kind of go quickly through the parable of the sower. If you want more information on that, just go back and listen to last week's a message. But I want to go quickly through that. And then I want to talk about what happened in Jesus' life after that. Because it all fits. Okay? And it will bless you. You'll, you'll learn some things. So Mark 4.14 says, the sower sows the word. In other words, as we said last week, the word of God is likened to a seed that is sown into the hearts of men. And the sower sowed the same seed in every type of ground. In other words, God is no respecter of persons. He looks at a person, if they're wayside ground, he knows it's not going to produce anything. He still will plant the word in, in that ground, knowing it won't produce anything stony ground he'll still plant it thorny ground he'll still plant it 
right? Only one ground, only good ground, one of the four produced fruit, and then only a third of them produced a hundredfold, a third produced 60, and a third produced 30, based on their attitude and respect towards the word of God, right? The seed produced different results based on the soil, not on the seed. The word of God is the ultimate seed. But if the word of God is planted in the wrong soil, it won't produce anything. So see the soil, you're God's garden, right? So you want to keep your heart, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flows the issues or the boundaries of your life. The Bible says it this way, Whatever you say in my ears, that's what I'm going to allow in your life. New Testament, you could have what you say. And we lay hold of our inheritance through faith. The results, the results of what's produced by the seed is not dependent upon the seed. It's dependent upon the soil. Okay? So the parable deals with the condition of your heart when you are receiving the word of God. Because it's the word of God in us that will produce the fruit. The word of God will grow your inheritance. It'll grow everything. Right? So this whole thing about, well, I'm all that because of what I do and my, the talents. Where'd you get those talents? And if you're not in faith, it, like... You know, Pastor Dave gets up and just, man, the messages he has, these nuggets about what the Bible says about finances is so important because God is like, listen, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. So God wants your heart in the right place. Why? So that he, he can grow these blessings of God. Because, guys, you can make a lot of money and have a nice life. You know, outwardly, it looks nice. Do you know there's a lot of beautiful homes in Omaha? You know, there are people that live in homes the size of this building. You know that? But, but it's not really a home, it's a house. And there's no peace, and there's no life. Might look really nice, right? Kind of like a whitewashed tomb, right? We don't want that in our life. So verse 15, it says, And these are they by the wayside, this is a certain type of soil, where the word is sown, but when they've heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their heart. That phrase, takes away, means he made them doubt the word. Right? If, if, you, if Satan can get you to doubt the word of God, it won't produce. He could take it. But if you keep listening to the word, you keep feeding on the word and you keep watering the word with your mouth, you keep speaking the word of God, Satan can't take it because you'll never doubt it. But have you ever got in a situation where when you got in the situation, you even, see, this is where we are. We know what the word says. But have you ever gotten a situation where you know, you know, yeah, oh yeah, healing's provided for me. But why do we let it go? Right? Why, why, do we, why, why do we doubt it? See, when, as soon as I, it's so simple. I keep my eyes on Jesus, I'm in faith. The minute I take my eyes off Jesus, I'm looking at natural things, I'll start to doubt it. 
Maybe not right away, but over time. Verse 16, and these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground. When they've heard the word, they immediately receive it with gladness, but they have no root in themselves. This word root means moisture. In other words, their, their dirt is dry. The soil of their heart is dry. Why? Because they have not watered the word. Right? You'll know if you're watering the word because you're speaking it. But this is what people do. They come to church and go, yeah, you know what? I need to speak right. And then they leave church, and before they're out of the parking lot, they're talking death again. Right? Why is that? Because they, they're not watering the word. Have you ever noticed how, how hard it is to speak the word? There's always something to try to get you not to read the word or not to speak the word. Do you know how many people live on Jesus' calling, that devotional? Oh, I read that every day. Great. Great. Let me, let me pull the pacifier out of your mouth. And, and let's walk over here. I'll, I'll, or maybe I need to carry you because you can't walk right now. And, and we're going to dust off your Bible. Yeah, but Jesus is calling. It just connects with me. In other words, it just makes me feel so good. I hope I don't get a letter from the person who wrote Jesus is calling, right? They're probably a wonderful Christian person. I'm not saying don't read it, but it better never take precedent over this. Yeah, but pastor, I can't read this because I don't understand it. Well, that's your problem. you got to get the eye out of your life. None of us in ourselves can understand it. But the Holy Spirit will open it. And then I'll understand it because I'll see it. Right? They have no root in themselves, so they endure for a time. But afterwards, here comes the, the perilous twins. When affliction, a test, trial, and pressure comes against the word. Affliction, the part of my body that I'm believing that, that I receive my healing starts hurting worse. All that is is pressure designed to get you to doubt. Or persecution, well, you're a freak believing that God, you just, you Jesus freak, right? Or, or I'm a Jesus freak too, but who do you think you are? Mr. Blabbin and grab it and confess it, possess it. Oh, you faith people. Thank you. Yes, yeah, that's me. Please. And, and, and when we stand before the Lord, Jesus, can I not be by this person? Because, man, there's going to be some flames. They'll still be saved, but all their works are going to be gone because if they don't believe in faith, yikes, right? Why did I get into that? Or, or persecution, look at that. It doesn't arise for your sake. It doesn't arise because Satan hates you. It arises for the word's sake. Why? Because the word is what produces, right? They are offended, offended. They get entrapped, they're tripped up, and they're caused to distrust who they should be trusting. Number one, God, right? Over all, you know, 16 and a half years of, of this church history, we've seen some people get offended. We haven't had that for a long time, but we've seen people get offended. You know, they just don't, I, I don't hear about their life five years later and they're doing great. You know, because why? They, they got tripped up and they, they got entrapped, and, and right? That's how come the word says, if you love God's word, you won't be offended. 
right? Notice how Satan comes after the word to separate you from your faith. So the watering of the seed is the only thing that will cause you to stand against the pressure of affliction and persecution. You just got to water the seed. Notice you're not fighting affliction and persecution. You're just speaking the word. See, we're not, we're not fighting Satan. You know, we taught last Wednesday night on exercising your faith. Most people, most people think, okay, I'm going to exercise my faith in the name of Jesus, and I'm going to get Satan to let go of what he's taken from me or give it back to me. Brother, wow, you're missing it. No, 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 I exercise my faith to enforce the victory that already has been won for me. So I exercise my faith like this. Satan's coming with whatever he's coming with. I'm not, whatever. I'm submitted to the Lord, so now I resist the devil. I stand against him and I oppose him. How do I do that? It is written. I speak the word of God and he flees as in terror. I never let the fight that I'm in turn me into a fighter. No, no, Jesus, he was the fighter. I'm going to enforce the victory with his name, right? Verse 18, and these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. Now, Satan is a non-issue in this one, right? This is, this is where so many people are. So many Christians are right here. But the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things enter in and choke the word of God and it becomes unfruitful. In other words, the desire for the things of the world are just greater than the desire to give your attention to the word of God. You don't beat yourself up for being thorny ground. You repent. Make a decision to change, right? See, this person, thorny ground, mixes everything in their life with the word. But here's the thing. If you are hearing wrong things, it's going to choke the word of God. Because there's a lot of Christians that are spending hours every day in the political arena and what's going on and all this stuff. And, and is that bad? Well, no, that's not bad, except they're spending minutes here, or if, if even minutes. You know how many people I have talked to over the last three years that are just, you know, they're just about all this stuff, and all they're talking about is what the enemy's doing. But when you get in this, you'll start talking about what God's doing. And all of a sudden, God will be able to use you to go in to areas and be effective because you'll be in faith. You won't be distracted, right? This is talking about a way of life, thorny ground. Satan's not taking the word. And you got to understand with all these grounds, the attention that you give the word of God determines what you will have. The attention that you give God's word will determine what you have, right? There's a lot of people that in their life, they got money, they, they don't really have financial pressure, but they're missing God's plan for their life. And they're in toil because of it, because they're not giving the word of God attention. And we learned, listen, you could be good ground in one area and thorny ground in another, Right? You could be stony ground. You could even be wayside ground. 
right? I'm probably wayside ground in the area of eating Brussels sprouts. I don't think that's really a thing, but you know, whatever, right? So then good ground, verse 20, and these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it. That's the difference. That word receive means they take it up and they continue in it. Okay? They continue in it. They hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit. See, they bring forth fruit. Why? Because the word is bringing forth the fruit, not them. Some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. And all that, you decide whether you're 30, 60, or 100. It's based on your attitude towards the word of God. I, I mean, if I had to pick, which, guess what? We all get the choice to pick. I'm, I'm going for the 100. Like, I'm all in. It is my final authority, right? If the word says I'm forgiven, then I'm forgiven. If the word says my, my sin has been condemned once and for all in the body of Jesus, I refuse to feel guilty. Does, is that right? Amen. If the word says he's blessed me with the blessing of Abraham, which brings me into a financial position of a full and overflowing supply, then I'm never going to talk lack again. Because it's my final authority. If the word says I've been redeemed from the curse of sickness and disease, I will call every symptom in my body a lying symptom. I'm not denying that they're there. I'm saying they're lying to me. They're trying to tell me I'm sick when I'm healed. So they got to leave because I am the healed. Do you get that? So now let's keep going. Verse 24. Here we go. So now the sermon starts. You guys ready? All right. Well, you know, you go to a movie theater. They even have commercials at movies now. That is not even fair, right? Verse 24, after all this, look at what Jesus says. And he said unto them, take heed what you hear. Psalm 1.1, don't walk, stand, or sit in wrong places. Take heed what you hear. Now, this is the Greek word tis. It literally means take heed what you hear, but it can also be translated take heed who you hear. Be real careful who you're hearing, right? With what measure you meet or with what measure you measure, it will be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. What do you mean? Well, am I hearing... 30-fold, 64-fold, or 100-fold. I'm a 100-fold here, right? That's my confession. That's what I believe. What does that mean? When I hear the word, I, am, I hear it with a willingness to do it, Amen. right? There's things that my flesh does not want me to do, but I don't care, right? If the word says, do this, I'm going to do it. And if I mess up, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to run right back to the word, I'm going to confess it and move on. Repent. I'm going to make a decision and change my direction and move on. Do an about face, right? For he that has, you should put in your Bible, has what? Ears to hear. To him shall be given. And he that has not, in parentheses, ears to hear, from him shall be taken even that which he has. Well, who takes? Oh, well, no, you know, I know who takes because we sit in church and we sing the number one worship song of all time. He gives and takes away. No, 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 we're not stupid. 
We're not, we're, not, we're not stupid. That was in Job, and that was one of the 74 things that he spoke wrongly about God. I mean, even Job, who was not born again, had enough sense when God showed up. He said, oh, I've spoken wrongly about you. I'm going to put my hand over my mouth. What do we do? We make a worship song out of it. No, from the parable of the sower, Satan's taken the word, right? He's the thief. Anything in your life that steals, kills, or destroys is not from God. It's from Satan. Anything that brings you into Zoe, life of God, the God quality of life, that's from him. James chapter 1, if anything in your life is good and perfect, it's from him. That word perfect means complete. It means it's, it's, it's exactly what you need. If it's not good and perfect, it's not from him. It's a counterfeit. Don't worry about that, right? All you single people, listen, don't get into this deal where, oh, you know what, I go to church and I just don't see anybody there, so I need to go look somewhere else. And you be led because, man, you'll buy a counterfeit. Counterfeits are no fun. I'm so glad I got the good and perfect. She got the good and perfect too, but it was wrapped a little different, right? Because, you know, seriously, God has a good plan for you. God will move heaven and earth to bring his will into your life in every situation. Don't care what, don't, don't look at your situation where you are today, your financial situation the situation in your marriage or your family. Listen, it's all subject to having transforming life breathed into it so that it looks like heaven, right? So God is able to give increase to that which you keep first place in your life, right? The difference is our attitude and our diligence to the things of God. When it's not comfortable, are you still going to meditate in his word? Are you still going to put him first? Right? I made a statement years ago. It wasn't a big faith statement, but it was a statement that it was, I, I just said, God, here it is. Sink or swim, live or die. I mean, literally, I'm, I'm, I'm living for you. Your word is my final authority. And man, I just keep going with that. Now, I realized, wait a minute, you know, with him, when you live for the word, there is no sink. There is no die, right? Good ground takes the word personally. All the other ground, wayside, thorny, right, stony ground, they did not take the word of God personally. Have you ever talked to somebody that talks about the word all the time? And their life is a disaster, but when they talk about the word, they're not talking about the word, how it affects them. They're talking about the word, how everybody else, they're always talking about other people. Well, you know, we need to do this and they need to do that. And, and this is the way this works, but it's never, wow, you know, the word of God is working in my life and I'm making these adjustments. It's not, be careful with that. Verse 33. So after all this, now Jesus says this, or it says this about Jesus, and with many such parables spoke he the word unto them as they were able to hear it. Boy, I'll tell you, that's one thing in my life that is, it becomes so prevalent as a pastor. In all of my talking to people, in all of my ministering, the Holy Spirit will always direct you to minister 
to those that are able to hear it. Never to those that can't hear it. Because it would do no good. Does that make sense? Why is that? Because you can't go any further than you have light. You, you got to live your life like that. If, if I have light, if the word of God is a light to my path, but it's only here, that's as far as I can go. So that's why I must completely rely on the Holy Spirit of God to reveal the word of God to me. Now, I know he wants to, but I know his ability to do that is based on me. My diligence to the word, how I, how I reverence, honor, and respect the word above everything else in my life. Guys, God is not a peripheral in your life. It is, he is center of everything. Right? What you can possess that God has already given you depends on how much light that you have. When the word of God is open, the entrance of his word, this is Psalm 119, the end, I think verse 130, the entrance or the opening of his word gives light. What you can possess that God has given you is based on how much light you have. Right? So if right now you're, you're struggling, don't focus on your behavior Focus on the behavior of getting more light. Because as you get more light, then you can move in that direction. In other words, it's Philippians 2. We work out what he is working in. I can't, if I'm working something out that he's not working in, that's works. That's a nightmare. Right? I don't know how else to say that. Revelation of God's word in your heart is light. You must have revelation of the word of God. See, because you cannot possess more than you can hold. You can't. I mean, God's given you everything. Yeah, but God, you know, I have these financial needs, but I just can never seem. Beloved, I pray above all things that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. How much can your soul hold? So just keep going with it. Just keep moving in this, right? Your attitude and diligence to the word of God is what brings everything into your life. So you don't need more money, you need more light. You don't need more health, you need more light so that you can walk in the financial wherewithal. You can walk in the health, right? Some people have trouble overcoming things that they've already been made free from because they just need more light. That's why we never judge anybody. We're all in the same deal, right? Verse 35, And the same day when the evening was come, he said unto them, Let us pass over to the other side. Now, we can say we know that Jesus said... Let us pass over to the other side. Why? Because he heard his father say that. In other words, that is a word from God. Guys, let us pass over to the other side. They just came off the most incredible teaching that Jesus had ever taught. He taught them a parable 
that was foundational. He taught them about how to lay hold of everything that God says. So then at the end of the day, he's like, okay, guys, let us go to the other side, right? So in other words, they got a word from God. We know from Romans 10, 17, so then faith, it comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. So in other words, when they heard the word of God, faith was there if they heard it. Okay? If we're going to complete any assignment from God, we need a word from him. Right? We, we have to have a word from him. In other words, you can't complete any assignment if you don't have a word. So no revelation, you're just out there. You don't know, right? The other side, let us pass over to the other side. The other side is where you obtain God's promises and God's inheritance for your life. The other side is when the healing is manifesting in your body. The other side is when the finances are there. The other side is when you actually now not just walk free, but are free, right? Free from depression, anxiety, free from fear. You're, you're free from these things, right? That's what the other side is. Right now, you and I are all in a boat, and we're all going to the other side. If you're not, get in the boat, because the other side is where the blessings are at. Okay? But, but you got to have a word from God to get to the other side. Jesus, notice, he said, let us pass over to the other side. He said nothing about the weather. Now you got to get this. Why? Why? Because, now you got to hear me, the weather is not an issue when you have a word from God. Okay? The circumstances of your life are not even an issue when you've got a word. The pain in your body, the situation in your finances, the situation in your life, is a non-issue when you have a word. Amen. Right? So keep this in mind. Keep this in mind. Verse 36. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. Okay? So they take Jesus into the ship. And there were also other, or there were also with him other little ships. Other little ships. Do you realize when you make a decision to get in the boat, there's going to be other little ships in your life. What is that? These are people that are watching you. They're watching you. And these people will be blessed as you go to the other side or as you lay hold of your inheritance. Do you realize people are watching you? And they will notice when you lay hold of your inheritance. They'll sit there and go, man, it just, how did that work out? Right? Well, let me tell you. Let me, let me give you some of my fruit. Because this could be your fruit. Because what God does for one, he's done for all, right? 
See, this is why Satan will try to stop you because he wants to stop you because he's also going to stop other little ships. Right? Verse 37, And there arose a great storm of wind. I wonder who brought that. Right? And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that now the ship was full. I mean, could you imagine? I remember we were on a lake in Minnesota. Sunny skies, we're fishing. Actually, you don't fish in Minnesota. We're, we were catching, didn't we catch 300 fish in an hour? I mean, we kept 75 of the biggest ones. No, just, just this little lure, I would throw it in. It was a spring-fed lake, and I would see about 20 fish vying for who was going to take it. And about every 15, remember that, Sarah? About every 15 seconds, boom, pull it out. The person that took us fishing, all he's doing is pulling fish off the hook. I'll throw this one away. You know, being a numbers person, I'm counting all of them. I mean, literally. So all of a sudden, the sky turned green. All of a sudden, like wall cloud, remember that? All of a sudden, I'm looking at my wife's hair, and her hair is starting to stand up. There's lightning, and it starts raining, and we're, we're going in this boat trying to get to shore, and, and literally the waves are coming over, so the boat's, it has a little thing where it, it's getting the water out of the boat, but it can't do it fast enough. You know, we're kind of having, I mean, it was kind of hailing a little bit, wasn't it? Or just raining hard, you know? I mean, the people that invited us, I'm like, hey, what, you know, what's the deal? Did you bring us out here to get rid of your pastor? What's going on? We were kind of joking about it. The guy was completely stressed. He's like, we got it. This is bad. I mean, these waves, it went from glass lake to waves coming over the boat, right? It was Steve. So uh, we get to the end. You know, and we get, we get out of the thing and everything. But we know it was a storm of wind. It was, there was a tornado in the area, wasn't there? Yeah. So anyway, that was an interesting day. So this happened. The Sea of Galilee, it, there's, like this, there's like this valley. And what could happen, it could be just the calm sea. But if that wind comes down there, it will just turn it into a mess. These guys were professional fishermen, some of them. They probably had friends that could have died in one of these storms. So there arose a great storm of wind. I love the way it says that because Satan has a lot of wind. Right? He will illegally attack your body. He'll attack your marriage. He'll attack your finances. He works as an outlaw and he has a big mouth. And he'll start telling you, man, your life is over. This is never going away. It's going to get worse. There's no way it could get better. Look at, look at the storm. Hey, 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 don't look at the word. Look at, look at me. Look at what I'm doing, Satan says, right? So that's what happened. They just heard the parable of the sower taught by Jesus himself. They just got a word from God from the word. They just listened to a message that was anointed by the anointed one. And now, minutes later, a storm comes up. You would have thought all of them would have been jumping. I curse you, right? We are going to the other side. Storm, you stop. You have no right. That's not what they did. 
right after they heard, right? Interesting. The devil brings storms. Why? To separate you from faith for the purpose of keeping you from getting to the other side. Do you know if those chairs represent the other side? Some people get in faith. And they're going to the other side and all hell's breaking loose and all hell's breaking loose and they're going to the other side and then all of a sudden they start listening to wrong people, they start looking at wrong things and they're, they're like right here, the angels are ready to just hand this and it manifests in their life and what do they do? Oh my gosh, I'm afraid. And then they start doing the children of Israel going through the wilderness thing. The boat's going like this. I'm so glad we didn't, see had we done this on that lake that day, guess what? That would have been bad, right? I've never been hit by lightning in a lake, but I have a feeling you'd see Jesus. <laughs> There'd just be a burst of light. Wow, right? Thank goodness there's no sharks, but I'm not really into swimming in a lake, right? So the devil brings storms to separate you from faith, to keep you from getting to the other side. What is your other side? I could tell you what's keeping you from the other side is you're, you're looking at wrong things and you're not renewing your mind to the word. Because if you're good ground, you will get to the other side. Amen. Right? So look at these guys. These are Jesus' main guys and they look, uh, instantly something happens. Now look, verse 38 and Jesus was in the hinder part of the sh uh, ship, asleep on a pillow. Okay, so he's asleep. Why? He's at rest because he's going to the other side. Amen. That storm could not have possibly sunk that ship. That storm had no power to sink that ship. Why? Because of Jesus' faith. Now, if Jesus wasn't there, where these guys were at, oh yeah, the boat's going down right? So they wake Jesus up and say to him, they say to him, master, there's an incredible storm. We need you to save us. No, they're in fear. They're stupid. When you're in fear, you're stupid. Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? That's kind of a weird question, right? But that's, that's, what, that's what happens. See, don't you care what are they operating out of? They're thinking about themselves. Selfishness, self-centeredness. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. Well, Jesus says he does. So get over yourself. Right? Yeah, but nobody tells me in my life that they love me. And, and, and I just have so many problems because I just need to be loved. And I, I, I. You'll never get free that way. Do you know when somebody offends you, what happens is you think so highly of yourself that somebody else just did something below your expectation? You can get offended by people in a car on Dodge that you don't even know, don't even, they didn't even see you, they don't even care about you, right? But if you're selfish, you'd be like, why did they do that? They're idiots. They're, and then, you know, Asher will sit there and go, Papa, we, we shouldn't say idiot. Right? Thank God for grandkids, right? <laughs> Verse 39, better keep going. I'm meddling a little too much. It's getting a little bit too close to my own life. No, I'm just teasing. 
It says, and he arose and rebuked the wind. See, what did Jesus do? He does what he always does. He rebuked the wind first. Faith always works in the unseen first. And then what did he do? He said to the storm. He said to the sea, peace, be still. He would have went, shh. I mean, could you imagine a full-out storm? He, he, he literally, look at this, he rebukes the wind. Wind, I rebuke you, stop. See? And all of a sudden it just goes, right? And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Verse 40, look at what Jesus says to them. And he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Why would he say that? See, Jesus expected them to rebuke the wind and speak to the sea. Why? They had just heard the word. They had just had it completely given to them. So don't get down. Notice, notice he didn't say, you bunch of idiots. Why am I wasting my time speaking to you guys? You never listen. Why? God would never do that. God never gets down on you for the mess you create. He's just going, guys, why did you not have any faith? Did you not hear what I've been talking to you about all day? They weren't in church for a couple hours, right? They were in church all day, parable after parable. Did you notice that the other parables that Jesus spoke and such like parables? So in other words, there's a whole bunch of parables that are not in the Bible that are a lot like the sower sows the word. Jesus went up that mountain for hours all day long. They heard and they heard and they heard, but they really didn't have ears to hear. Or I should say it this way, they listened and they listened and they listened and they listened. Right? And then they, look at this, so then their response to this was, <laughs> their response wasn't, yeah, Jesus, you're right, I, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not being in fear anymore. No, what, what did they do? And they feared exceedingly. He said to them, why are you so fearful? Right? How is it that you have no faith? And then they feared exceedingly. They still didn't get it. Did you notice that Jesus did not get to the other side and fire them all? That's it. You 12, you're history. I'm not going to spend any more. Do you notice that Jesus still kept pouring into them? Why am I saying this? We've been in that boat. God is still for you. He'll just keep teaching. He'll keep leading. He has unlimited mercy. Just keep running to him. You'll get it. Right? I love that. And they, they feared exceedingly and they said to one another, what manner of man is this? Oh, come on, you just said he was the son of God, Peter. Right? Even that the wind and sea obey him. In other words, after this whole thing is over, they still didn't get it. And if you keep reading on, he kept working with them. I mean, every once in a while, he'd be like, geez, how long do I got to be with you guys? You can imagine when he's talking to his father. His father's like, son, I know. 
Just, just keep loving them. Because the goodness that comes from me will lead them to change. And they ended up changing. These people went from fearless or from fearful after the resurrection. When they met Jesus, they were sold out. Timothy, who Paul said, Timothy, you don't have a spirit of fear. Do you know in Ephesus, there was one of their, uh, and we know what this is now because we now have them in our country. We had them for like almost a whole month. Parades and festivals, they call them. Well, they, the festivals they would have in Ephesus, they were very seductive, worldly, disgusting. And, and Timothy, we stood in the place where he was martyred. He was in the house, and he's like, this is enough. I can't do this anymore. I'm going out. I'm going to stop this whole festival. And he went out to stop it, and they, they killed him. James, half-brother of Jesus, grew up in Jesus, with Jesus, thought he was nuts. Jesus appears to him. He gets born again. After the resurrection, he gets born again. He's pastoring the church at Jerusalem. They estimate it could have been 100,000 Jews, right? He ends up being stoned to death for his faith. Fearless, fearless, interesting. You are a lot tougher on the inside than you ever are on the outside, right? So why do I say all this? I must have a word from God. Once you get a word from God, I must hold on to that word until the word brings itself to pass, so in your faith, your walk of faith, you've got to have a word. You have to have revelation knowledge, God speaking to you. And then you grab hold of that word and you keep holding on to that word. You keep your eye on it until the word will bring it to pass. We saw a lot of this in the 80s when I first came into the word of faith movement. Chests were out a little further Shoulders back. Yeah, I got that with my faith. Oh, you little baby. It came into the 90s, but then it started dwindling because, see, you don't lay hold like that. That's pride. So now, then we go through this period where there's a remnant of people laying hold of stuff, but there's a lot of people that are literally giving up. Oh, that, that, that faith stuff doesn't work. Well, now it's swinging back. And it's really cool because it's starting more and more people are starting to go, wait a minute. And guess what? It's not my faith. It's the faith of God. Guess what? The word is what produces in my life, not me. I don't have to produce. Right? See, God's word becomes the vessel that's going to take you to the other side. Oh, pastor. Man, when Jesus said that to me, I'm like, that is so cool. His word is the vessel that will take you to the other side. The word produces. Man, that's worth you coming to church for the next 10 years if you get that. God's word is what brings everything into divine order from chaos. Everything. God's word, in other words, God's word has enough power in it to bring itself to pass. Do you see that? Our job is to believe it and speak it. Hebrews 4.12 says this about the word of God. The word of God is quick. That means it is full 
of the Zoe life of God. And the word of God is powerful. This Greek word means it's active and it's effective. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit. In other words, the writer of Hebrews is now contrasting. What is he contrasting? The soul and the spirit, the outer man and the inner man, right? And of joints and marrow. Now the writer of Hebrews is contrasting physical seen things with spiritual unseen things. You could see a joint, but then the marrow is inside, okay? I might not be saying that right, but you get what I mean. And the word of God is a discerner. It is what causes you to see and know of the thoughts and intents of the heart. See, God's word in your heart will reveal to you your motives. Is this really God's idea or is this just my idea? It'll, it'll cause you to know. It'll tell you if this is you or if this is his leading. Right? The thoughts and intent of the heart. The word of God divides and it discerns. So go to 1 Peter chapter 5 real quick. I got a couple more minutes. Hallelujah. This is a big scripture. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. It's talking about you're humbling yourself under God's word, that he may exalt you. That This word exalt means that he may elevate you and raise you up in due time. See, God exalts you, lifts you above the circumstance, right? By putting his word to work in your life. So you have to work with him on that, right? In other words, the humble rely on the peace and the power of God to enable and empower them to walk immovable through all the storms of life. Let me say that again. The humble rely on the peace and the power of God to enable them and empower them to walk immovable through every storm that comes into your life. Wow. Verse, how do I humble myself? Verse 7, casting. That means I roll the entirety of the care, all of my care. See, this word care, this Greek word care, is something that pulls you in different direction, something that divides, something that distracts. That's what a care does. It'll distract you, it'll divide you. The care of money is the number one thing that's dividing marriages. Does that make sense? Cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. I love this. The Amplified Classic says it this way, casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns once and for all on him, for he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. See, you gotta get this, God cares for you. 
you are not to care for yourself. You're to care for others, but you get in trouble when you care for yourself. Then he says this, be sober, right? This word sober means think clear. Don't be moved by your emotions. It means be moderate. Don't go to extreme, right? Don't go to extreme. Be vigilant. That means be ever on your guard because your adversary, your anti-deacus, this, this word means your opponent, your enemy. This word means one who is violently opposed to righteousness. Your adversary, the devil, it's a Greek masculine noun, this word devil. Diabolos, it means a false accuser, one who's prone to slander. One who does what? Opposes, accuses, and divides people without reason. How does he do that? By dia. Diabolos is the Greek word. Dia. It literally means to penetrate through to the other side of something. How does he do that? By abolos. By throwing something blow after blow after blow. What does Satan do? His his name reveals it. He throws thought after thought after thought into your mind trying to get you to take the thought so that he can penetrate your mind so that he can scramble it, right? As he walks, as, as your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour, verse nine, whom resist, that means oppose and stand against, in the faith. In other words, it takes faith to resist the devil, You have to believe God's word, right? Knowing that the same afflictions, the same things that you're going through are being accomplished. They're being performed in your brethren that are in the world. Just know you're not alone, right? James 4, 7 says the same thing. Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Now hang with me. I'm almost done. Just hang with me because you got to get this. So submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Right? How do I resist the devil? I got to submit myself to God. How do I do that? By rolling the whole of my care over on him once and for all. I'm not trying to figure this thing out. I give it to him. Right? Then Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, is another piece of this puzzle. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. In other words, the source of your strength has to come from him. Right? In the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, which is revelation knowledge of God's word, that you may be able to stand against. Remember? What does it say in James? Resist the devil. Stand against him. Now we see to stand against him, I've got to be strong in the Lord, not in myself. I've got to to walk in revelation knowledge of his word that I may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. People are not your enemy. It's who's behind them, right? Right? Then it says in verse 13, I'll just skip it because of time, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God. That's the word of God. Take it unto yourself. 
the word of God, that you may be able to stand or withstand in the evil day. What is the evil day? Let me prophesy. It's July 23rd. I'll, let, me, let me give you a, a, a prophecy for tomorrow. Tomorrow it'll be the 24th, right? You're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but we fear no evil, right? Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and this is what I want you to see, and having done all to stand, verse 14, stand therefore. So here's the big thing, guys. Having, you're not gonna be able to stand if you haven't done all to stand. What do I do? What, what, mean, what does it mean to having done all to stand? I must have ears to hear. I must have the reverence and honor and respect for the word of God. It must be my final truth. Because the word is what produces everything in my life. And when Satan's coming to steal the word, I stand against him in the strength of God. Does that make sense? This is, and, and see, I, I live this way. So what do I do? I meditate in the word. I put it first place. I'm a viable part of my church family, right? I'm plant, you know, there's a lot of Christians that go awry because they're not planted in a church, right? Well, there's no churches in my area. Okay, so what does that have to do with anything? Then drive, move. Well, I okay, Right? No, no, it's a foundation. Is it, is it the only foundation in your life? No, no, no. That's a, that's a starting point. And then out of that will be everything that, that God has, but you've got to put the word first. And if you're trying to get people to church, listen, if, if that's not working, that's okay. Try to get them reading the Bible. Tell, don't tell them to start in Genesis. Don't say read the Bible. Get them starting to read the Gospel of John. Get them to read John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John about five times. Not a lot, just a chapter a day. Just get them reading the word because the word will start stirring things in them. They'll end up in the right place because God will get them in the right place. Aren't you glad he's never given up on you? Amen.